So this week, uh, we have special guest speakers, Justin and Tricia Davis. Uh, they have a national marriage ministry called Refinus Ministries in the Commons area on your way in or on your way out. You, you either saw it or you're going to see it. Uh, they have a display that explains a little bit more of their resources and what they offer as far as marriage coaching and conferences and also some books that they've written. In fact, uh, Justin just released a new book uh, called Being Real is Greater Than Being Perfect. And uh, this is, when I say just released, it's actually, you can't buy it unless you buy it here today because he just got the books in this week. Uh, so we have first dibs, first access, Mount Pleasant. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Justin's a special friend of mine. In fact, uh, he has helped us with our impact ministry over this past year. Uh, my wife and I have been to one of Justin and Trisha's marriage conferences and we're blown away uh, by the power of their testimony and story and how many thousands of couples they've ministered or two over the last decade plus. So I think you're going to be very blessed by Justin and Trisha this morning. In fact, I've known Justin even back from the high school days because he was the basketball superstar at our rival Crawfordsville High School when I was growing up, and I didn't like him much back then. Uh, so... Uh, I like him now, uh, but uh, you're going to be blessed with this morning's message. Uh, it's going to be powerful, especially for those of us who have relationships. Uh, so strap on and please welcome to the stage uh, Justin and Trisha Davis. Well, all I have to say to that is the older I get, the better I was. So <laughs> grateful to be here. I was, I was looking at the crowd today and I thought, man, it's packed out for 9 a.m. Then I thought, oh, Colts home opener. I get it. All right. Serving God and the Colts all at the same time. Yeah, Colts I by seven. Colts <laughs> by seven is all I got to say. Priorities, And so we are so grateful to be here today. Um, we just love uh, Indianapolis and the surrounding communities. So we've been looking forward to this particular uh, Sunday for quite some time. So before we dive in, we would love to introduce you to a little bit more beyond our names, a little bit about our ministry, and then I'll share a little bit about our family. Yeah, so Trish and I launched uh, Refinus Ministries a little over 12 years ago. And we, we help couples restore hope and renew relationships. That's kind of our mission. And it's really an overflow of our story. And so uh, if you scan the QR code that'll come up here uh, in just a second, uh, you can uh, go to our website. There's some free downloads, some free information about our ministry and how we might be able to serve you. So Justin and I have been married for 28 years. Got married when we were 12. That's not true. I just wish that it were. That's when all of you were supposed to be like, oh, no, she's too young. No way. But it's <laughs> fine. Uh, we have five kids. Here's a picture of our, our family. And um, this was five years ago at our oldest son's uh, wedding. We have three biological sons. And then we adopted our son and daughter, Jalen and Janiah, six or seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, time, you know, five kids now. If I remember their names and their birth dates, I am winning as a mom. Uh, but my daughter has an issue with this picture because she's like, Mom, like, I'm a teenager now. I do not look like a young child. But Justin and I look young in the picture. So we're keeping it. So. Like, this is as good as we're ever going to be. So we're showing the picture everywhere we go. So, yeah, this is our family in a nutshell. So if you're here today and you came maybe for the first time to Mount Pleasant, welcome. And you're like, oh, guest speakers and relationships, come on. Come back next week. Pastor Chris will be back. Um, but, you know, no matter where you are in your life or no matter where you are uh, in your marital status, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, um, I hope as you leave today, you don't feel like you just got content from a message. I hope you feel like you just had coffee with a good friend. 
uh, because we're going to share a little bit of our story, but our prayer is that you'll know that God brought you here for a specific purpose, that he is pursuing you, that he longs to have an intimate relationship with you no matter where you are in your relationship with him, and that you'll feel like God met you and your story intersected his story this morning. What I know to be true about everyone here today, regardless if you're eight or you're 80, is that we do have stories. And in our stories, we have a vision for what we believe our life will look like, how our stories will unfold. Uh, Unfortunately for Justin and I, our, our love story started to unfold in the 90s. Anybody get married in the 90s? No, we don't raise our hands because I want you to think of like, Getting married in the 90s, the wedding dresses were like the bedazzle machine meets Cinderella, and it's just really bad. In fact, um, my wedding veil, you know desert lizards that get mad, they're like, that's my wedding veil. I have a picture of it. See, it's like attacking my friends, you know. But Justin and I, we, um, we fell in love in Bible college and fell in love with God and ministry and each other. And so we got married in the summer of 1995. And we had this vision, not so much for our wedding day, but for an epic honeymoon. I grew up in this amazing city um, called Joliet, Illinois. Uh, we are known for our prison You're welcome. Uh, If you have watched the Blues Brothers, that's Statesville. We're very proud, long time proud of our our prison. And so I grew up in a working class blue collar family and we just never really could afford going on vacation. And so the one vacation my family went on was this magical place. And I know you guys are thinking Disneyland, but it is better than Disneyland. It's this magical place called Wisconsin Dells. And uh, it was in the height of Star Wars. I was nine years old and it was just this amazing experience. Well, Justin, as you heard, grew up in Crawfordsville, Indiana, and they only, woo, okay. (laughs) Babe, that was like, yeah, Crawfordsville. Um, He went on like this one major vacation to Holden Beach, North Carolina. So when we got engaged and were planning our wedding, really our honeymoon, in our young brains, we thought we could only go on our honeymoon to a place that we had been before. So it was either the Dells or the beach. Well, the beach went out. The problem is, is we got married in Joliet and you all are smart enough to know that the Chicagoland area is not near North Carolina, but it was okay because Justin's parents were giving us their brand new, 1995 teal, anybody remember the teal with the pinstripes? It was the most amazing teal pinstriped Astro minivan you had ever seen. (laughs) And I say that the Lord knew I needed that big old van for my big old dress. And so we get through the wedding day and we've got this vision for this epic honeymoon and we get in this minivan and we were smart enough to know you shouldn't drive like 14 hours your first night married. So we drive a couple of hours And by the time we got to, you know, the hotel, ladies, we have this vision. Our man, he's going to scoop us up. He's going to carry us over the threshold. It's going to be so amazing. But I was like, buddy, you need to get to step in because I got to get out of this dress and go to sleep. It's been a long day. Sleep was the operative word there. I was like, oh, time out, my friend. (laughs) I had to get married for sleep. (laughs) I got married for some action. So let's light a candle. Let's throw on some boys to men. Let's get this party started. All the students are like, what's happening right now? Okay, so as he was trying to get the party started, I was in the bathroom and I wasn't just crying. I was sobbing to the point that Justin knocks on the door and he's like, are you okay? 
And the only thing I could get out of my mouth was, I need you to go to Walmart. Like right now, I need you to go. Why would I go to Walmart on my wedding night at four o'clock in the morning in my tuxedo? Well, apparently as we arrived at the hotel, something else arrived for Trish. And so I walked down two aisles that day. The first aisle to say I do, and then the food and product aisle to say I'm not so sure. I have a sister, I've never bought those for her, so I just got one of everything. And you know you're in a bad place in your life when the person working the 4 a.m. shift at Walmart is feeling sorry for you, and she's looking at me like thinking I'm coming from prom, and I'm like, just give me my stuff, right? I, my wife is eagerly anticipating my arrival at the hotel. Yeah, I was totally asleep when he got back, and so... No action, not a <laughs> zip. We've been in therapy all these years, and so we wake up the next morning... We make the long trip to the beach and we are young and in love. And this is the second time I've ever seen the ocean. So like I drop my bags and I just run to the ocean water and we play like kids for the next several hours. And about a couple hours in, I was like, oh, the sun's a little, little hotter in the Carolinas. And so I realized about four hours in that I didn't put sunscreen on. And so I was not sunburned. I was blister burned from head to toe, to the point that I was like, um, hey buddy, like I, I really need you not to touch me. In fact, I need you to not talk to me because your breath hurts my face. So like, For the next four days, nothing touched her body but aloe vera. And you know it's a epically bad honeymoon when you're calling your dad collect? Because that's what you do in 1995. Some of you need to Google what a collect call is. And you're talking to your father about the action you're not having on your honeymoon. It's a very awkward conversation. I'm like, Dad, it's been four days and nothing. I'm like, is that normal? He's like, well, in a few years it will be, but not right now. <laughs> He's like, you know, we're not even Catholic, but I think you can annul that. Just high five, walk away. Okay, so before you feel bad for Justin, we had all this money because we couldn't do anything all week. And so the very last day of our honeymoon, I thought I'm gonna be an awesome bride and I'm gonna run a jet ski because running a jet ski for my young groom with lots of pent up energy, was not wise. And so this was the moment in our relationship where we defined who the rule follower is. Who are my rule followers? Uh, can we raise our hands? We don't even know. I'm she, sorry. She say raise her totally hands. just stressed you out. Okay, who are my rule breakers? Didn't say to talk. They can't, they can't even, and they're all in the back. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Well, we get on this jet ski, and as a rule follower, I'd like to go over the rules of engagement on how to ride this thing. Have you ever had a moment where... Like time begins to slow down to the point that you are about to think, I'm, a, I'm about to die. Like this is this moment. <laughs> there was this huge party yacht coming into the cove and I'd never seen a party yacht in real life. And there were people on top of it and there was music playing. I'm like, this is insane. But Justin wasn't looking at the people. He was looking at the waves that this large party yacht was making. And he was like full throttle. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. But before I can say anything, we hit the wave so hard and so fast that I literally shoot straight up in the air to the point that I'm like, what's up to the people on the party yacht? (laughs) And then I came down in a belly flop position. That's what the people on the boat said, right? You know? And, and here's the deal. And then I, I said, payback. I mean, I didn't say it out loud. I was just <laughs> silently thinking it to myself. But, but here's the truth. If you've been doing life for more than 24 hours, I'm going to assume that there was a vision that you had for your life. I'm gonna assume that you thought, man, the trajectory of this part of my life is gonna go up and to the right. And then maybe for you, a lot like us, 
which began in our honeymoon and continued in different moments of our life, that oftentimes the vision that we thought we would have for our life and we would live out doesn't come into fruition. And the question is, what do you do when things don't go up and to the right? So we got married the summer before my second senior year of college, squeezed four years into five, just wanted more student loans. And, uh, and so we were young, we were in love, uh, we were broke. And then all of a sudden we realized that Trish doesn't have the flu like we thought she did four months into marriage, but she's pregnant with our oldest son, Micah. And so life was coming at us very fast. And so I graduated from Lincoln in May and we dove headfirst into student ministry for the next seven years, helping students come into a relationship with Christ. Seven years into ministry, we felt like God had laid on our hearts a vision for a church for people who didn't go to church. Mm -hmm. And so we had never planted a church before, and so we sold everything that we had. We had $5,000 to our name, uh, which meant we didn't own a lot of stuff, and we thought by the time we run out of this money, we should have a church going, which sounds very faith-filled. It's a very unwise way to start a church, but that was our vision. And so we moved to Noblesville, Indiana in 2002 and planted Genesis Church. And we moved on June 1st, 2002, and on June 9th, we had our very first service, and 12 people showed up. Now, as a church planter, you're looking for any sign at all that God may be remotely in this. I'm thinking 12 people, 12 disciples. This is biblical. Three of these people have on sandals. Jesus himself wore sandals. WWJD. It's going to work, right? <laughs> well, 12 people became 20 people, and 20 people became 40 people. And then we had a couple of large churches in, on the north side that got behind us, and they gave us meeting space and they gave us money and resources and they told their people to leave and go with us to help us start this church. And we launched public services in September of 2003 with over 250 people. And more than the number though, there were, there was this, this satisfaction of knowing that we had been obedient to the vision that God had laid on our hearts and that God was allowing that vision to come into reality. And from September of 2003 to Easter of 2005, our church would go to about 750 people. And people were coming to Christ and they were being baptized and they were finding a home and community. They were going on mission trips and they were leveraging their gifts and talents and resources and giving back to God. But even as the church was going up and to the right, things began to deteriorate in Trish and I's relationships and there were cracks in the foundation of my own personal faith. And what we began to realize is that Trish and I were really good ministry partners but we had become really toxic marriage partners. Yeah, I think for many of us, when life feels off kilter or things aren't going in the direction we want them to go, uh, we look to the next milestone or achievement. Right? Like if you were in middle school and middle school was a hot mess, maybe you thought to yourself, if I could just get out of middle school, which is everybody's thought, and you know, in high school, <laughs> I'm gonna make it onto that team. I I I'm gonna make it into that club. I'm gonna make it into that friend group. And then you do just that, but life doesn't change. Maybe for you, it was like getting out of debt or getting out of college and actually getting paid for the work you do and you've got your career and things are, are going up and to the right, but it isn't fulfilling you like you thought it would. Maybe for you, it's a season of stepping into retirement and you thought, man, I've waited a long time for this and now that you've stepped into it, it's just not bringing you joy. And so what next milestone, what next achievement can you look forward to? And so here, Justin and I, we have the successful church plant. At the time, statistically, 80% of church plants failed. And so the fact that we were still going and thriving was like a miracle, but we were miserable. And so we thought, you know what, we're just tired. We just need to get away. 
And so we decided to go on a, like a four-day cruise. And I'll be honest with you, when we stepped onto that ship, I was like, hey, can I get my own room? We were not in a good place. But there was something miraculous that happened in the middle of the ocean. And there was no responsibility, no children, no apologies to my kids, right? Like no cell phones or I don't even think Wi-Fi probably could make it out there at the time. And Justin and I fell head over heels for each other. We had so much fun. And I thought we're healed. Like we had just celebrated 10 years of marriage. Like it's gonna work out. The problem is, is that when we stepped off the boat, we stepped into the same life, the same unhealthy patterns, expecting something different. And what I didn't anticipate is how far and how fast Justin and I could drift in our relationship with each other and in our relationship with God. You know, what the cruise allowed us to do is it allowed us to change our behavior for a few days, but neither one of us really had to change our heart. And so we came back from that cruise and because we didn't experience heart transformation, it was just behavior modification for a few days. Once we stepped right back into the same life, we stepped right back into the same dysfunction. Right? And we, we realized that there was this alarming gap between the marriage that we had and the marriage that we thought we would have. You ever experienced that gap in your life? Maybe for some of you today, there's a gap between the mom that you are and the mom that you thought you would be. Because mom guilt is real. And motherhood is, motherhood is a lot more difficult than you thought it would be. Maybe for some of you today, there's a gap between the husband that you are and the husband you promised you would be. How do you reconcile that gap? Maybe for some of us today, there's a gap between the relationship with God we have and the relationship with God we pretend we have. How do you close that gap? Trish and I had this vision that longer married equals a better marriage. Right? The longer that we're married, the better our marriage is going to be. That's why we look at couples that have been married for 50 years. We think, oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's just like the notebook. I'm going to die in a hospital without my husband. That's how the notebook ends. If you haven't seen it, that's how it ends, all right? <laughs> but that's what we think, right? Longer married equals a better marriage. But now 10 years into marriage, longer married didn't equal a better marriage for us. Longer married meant more irritable. Longer married meant less patience. Longer married meant louder arguments. Longer married meant the same argument over and over and over again. We never fought about anything new. All this culminated on October 9th, 2005. I came home from church and Trish was laying down for an afternoon nap and I said, hey, we need to have a conversation. And she said, okay, about what? I said, about us. She's like, well, what about us? I said, I'm done. She's like, you're done with what? I said, I'm done with you. Like, I'm out. I don't wanna be married anymore. I don't wanna be in ministry anymore. I'm not in love with you anymore. I'm having an affair, it's with your best friend, I wanna be with her. And I wish, 18 years later, I wish it was a confession of remorse, and I wish it was a confession of repentance. It was just a confession of resignation. And I don't know if you've given to a relationship, and you give and you give and you give, and what you think you deserve in return isn't reciprocated. What begins to happen is a sense of entitlement begins to live in your heart, and that person can never repay you all that you think they owe. And that's exactly where I was in my relationship with Trish. She was never gonna be the wife I felt like I deserved and so I was done. Obviously the intensity of our conversation went way up and Trisha left the house hysterically and it felt like 30 seconds later the chairman of our elders called. And he was just screaming at me on the phone. It's like this has to be some kind of joke. Please tell me this is a joke. Our church was three years old at the time. Our average age was about 28. We had just did a capital campaign where we raised a million dollars to buy the building that we were meeting in and one of our elders had given $250,000 of that. 
and I had cheated on all of them too. And they came over to my house to try to talk me out of, not of the consequences of my choices because I wasn't going to be the pastor of the church anymore, but the choice itself to leave my wife and my three young boys who were nine, six, and three at the time. And I just couldn't hear it. Trisha didn't want me at the house anymore, so I left and went and checked into a hotel. And as I arrived at the hotel, a lady from our church called and she said, if you have any hope at all of restoring your marriage relationship, you're going to go to this counseling appointment that we've set for you tomorrow. And I just thought, counseling, <laughs> I don't go to counseling. I'm a pastor. I do counsel. But by God's grace, I showed up kind of defiantly at this counseling session and sat down and basically shared with her about as much as the story as I just shared with you. And she interrupted me and she said, can I just ask you something? Like, what do you hope to get out of this counseling session? Like, why are you even here? I said, you know what, if I'm just gonna be straight up honest with you, here's what I want you, I want you to help me figure out. I want you to help me figure out how God's gonna bless my life no matter who I choose. Like, that's what I want. And she said something in that moment that became the linchpin for the restoration that God was going to do in our marriage. She said, I can help broken people. I can't help hard-hearted people. And I'd been a Christian since I was 10 years old. I'd been a pastor for 10 years. I'd never really experienced brokenness. And Trish packed up all my things. She kicked me out of the house and I moved in with a family that had helped us start the church. And we were separated for two and a half months. We didn't talk for the next 10 days. And we had a mediator that helped get our kids back and forth. And God began to break my heart for my marriage again, but I was having no contact with Trish, so I didn't know if I was gonna get a second chance. And so I started going to counseling by myself. 10 days into our separation, Trisha called me on my cell phone, and I tell people all the time, if the prodigal son's dad would have had a cell phone, it would have been a call he would have made. And she said, I hear you've been going to counseling. I said, yeah. And she said, well, I'm willing to go with you. And so a few days later, we started going to counseling. and went to counseling four days a week for the next two months. So we tell couples all the time, if you think your marriage is in trouble, our counselor to see us four days a week, that's how jacked up we were, all right? Hang in there, you're gonna be fine. But God began to use the intensity and the frequency of those counseling sessions to peel back layers of brokenness and hurt and half-truths and bitterness and resentment that we hadn't taken the time or had the courage to talk about and began a restoration process in our marriage that continues to this day. You know, with Justin's confession, it wasn't, it wasn't just losing my marriage. It was a confession where I lost my best friend. And for those of us who are, you know, kind of nearing the second half of our lives, we remember how sweet and precious those relationships are when you're raising your kids. And that was gone too. Uh, for me and my boys, and with the confession, we lost our church family and the life that we had known overnight and we never went back. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where my rule following hard, I was like, I don't get this God. Like I was faithful to you. I was faithful to my husband. I was faithful to my faith community. I was faithful to my best friend. And why am I here? Like, have you ever been there where you just feel done? And I remember grabbing my Bible and I was sitting on the couch and my boys were for some reason, all three sitting at my feet. And I, I was just like, kind of raging inside my heart and mind. And I was like, God, if, if you're in this, I need you to show up. Like, this is your chance or I'm out. And I remember opening up my Bible uh, to the book of Hebrews. And I love God's word. And the book of Hebrews is my favorite book in all of the Bible because it takes Old Testament principles and brings it forth into the New Testament in the life of Christ. 
So I thought, okay, God's gonna meet me in this. But then I began to read this passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 10, and it says this. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they know how. But God's discipline is always right and good for us. And I just wanna stop there. When my heart was bleeding, this was the last thing I wanted to read. And I remember saying, God, are you kidding me? I don't need to be disciplined. I've been disciplined enough. But that Ephesians passage, Ephesians chapter one, that God, he is good and he is kind and he is gracious. He just spoke over me, keep reading. It says, but God's discipline is always right and good for us. Why? Because it means we will share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. It's like God was saying, I see you, this is hard. But afterwards, there will be a quiet harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So with my kids at my feet, my heart broken, verse 12, it says, so take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Then those who follow you, though they are weak and lame, will not stumble and fall, but will become what? strong. I don't know what hard story you bring in here today, a place where you thought God was going to meet you and he just feels absent. And so what we want to do is we want to spend the rest of our time today sharing with you just two principles that didn't shape our lives just when our lives fell apart, but they are principles and truths of God that continue to shape who we are today. There's a lot of dots to connect that we don't have time to connect this morning from October of 2005 to us being with you today. But um, I was out of ministry for four years. We uh, obviously put our marriage back together. We left Noblesville and, and moved to Zionsville and kind of started our life all over. I never thought I was gonna be in ministry again. I went into the business world and, and uh, did that for four years. And then I had an opportunity to be restored back into ministry and um, God began to use our story. We began to share our testimony and travel and speak. And in 2013, uh, we wrote our first book called Beyond Ordinary, When a Good Marriage Just Isn't Good Enough. And at the time that we wrote it, we had like a 16-year retrospective of our marriage. And what we began to realize is that you can't have anything extraordinary in your life if your relationship with God is ordinary. And so this book isn't about an affair. The affair doesn't come out until chapter nine, spoiler alert, um, this book is 12 principles that will help you reconnect with God and reconnect with people in your life is really how I could boil it down to you. But I wanna share one principle with you uh, this morning. The first is this, that ordinary is defeated when we tell the truth. Ordinary is defeated when we tell the truth. I mentioned that we started going to counseling, went to counseling four days a week. So after a month, we'd gone to 16 counseling sessions. For those of you that have been in counseling, you know that's a lot of counseling. That's like a year's worth of counseling in a month. And our counselor was like, guys, you are doing phenomenal. I'm so proud of you. We had circled a date on the calendar. I was gonna move back home. And he said, now that you're 30 days in, you're in a really critical time, a really fragile space. He's like, because Trisha's starting to trust you again. He's like, trust is starting to be rebuilt. So if you've left anything out, Justin, now's the time to share it. He said, unconfessed sin will always lead to repeated behavior. So if you haven't confessed everything, and you don't want to be back here in three months or three years or 13 years, you better come clean. And I knew in my heart I wasn't telling the whole truth. 
but I wasn't withholding truth to be malicious or hurtful. I just thought if she knew that, it would be over. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, are you ever going to live in a right relationship with God? Are you ever gonna be a person of integrity? And so I took a deep breath and I said to Trish, I said, as far as the affair goes, I've told you everything, but I have a lot more to share with you. I said I was sexually abused when I was a kid. <clears throat> I've never talked about it. I've never told anyone. I've never gotten help for it. And I know there's a broken part of me that I can't fix. And it doesn't justify my choices. I just want you to know that I, I need help. I, I said I've struggled with pornography for the last 10 years. And I've deflected it. And I've denied it. And I've preached against it. And I've counseled people through it. And I've lied to you about it. And if you want everything, we can get divorced and you can have everything. This isn't about us anymore. This is about me finally living in a right relationship with God. And in an act of grace and mercy, unlike anything I'd ever experienced, she said, now we can start over. Now we can begin again because I finally know the real you. And I wish that was the finish line. I wish we high-fived and left the counseling session. That was really the starting line of what became a two-year journey of restoration and work and finding freedom from addiction. One of the things I've realized over the last 18 years since that moment is that each of us were created for intimacy. You're created for intimacy with God and intimacy with your spouse if you're married. And the word intimacy means to be fully known. That God has created you to be fully known by him and if you get married, to be fully known by your spouse. And we don't compromise truth in relationships because we wanna be liars, right? We compromise truth in relationships because we wanna be loved. The problem is you can only be loved to the extent that you're known. And every time we compromise truth in relationships, what happens is we put a lid, we put a cap on the amount of intimacy that relationship is capable of experiencing. No matter what our intentions are, our choice to compromise truth limits our ability to be known and to feel loved. And that's true in our relationship with God and it's true in our marriage relationships. And so there, maybe for some of you today, there, maybe you're here today and you used to have a white hot passion for God and you used to feel God's presence and sense God's voice and know God's calling. And now you come to church and you raise your hands, you sing the songs and you help in kids ministry because that's extra credit in heaven. And you, you're doing all of the things, right? But you feel this distance in your relationship with God. Maybe you're withholding part of your heart from him because you've believed this lie that if God ever knew that about me, he wouldn't love me. Can I just tell you today that God knows you fully and he loves you anyway? That's grace. Maybe for some of you, there's distance in your marriage relationship or a friendship or a relationship with a parent. My question to you would be, are you compromising truth in that relationship? Confession is very difficult. It's very painful, but it's a redemptive pain. Hiddenness is a destructive pain. Right? God can only heal the parts of our hearts that we're willing to give him. Just like he doesn't force himself into our salvation, he won't force himself into our transformation. Jesus said in the New Testament, he said, the truth will set you free. What he conveniently left out is, it will make you miserable first. <laughs> but short-term misery for long-term freedom is a trade worth making. You know, it would have been super easy for me to say, you know what, Justin, go figure out your life. Like you become a person of truth and then we can, you know, maybe get back to a vision of marriage. But I realized that for all of us, we have to be willing to tell the truth. And when I became a person of truth, I recognized that I had lived with a bitter heart for a long time. 
About a year into our marriage, my parents divorced after 25 years, and unknowingly, I lived with the posture that our marriage would probably fail. And so I lived fearful, I lived bitter, And so when I began to be a person of truth, I realized like there is work to be done. And so ordinary is defeated when we begin to tell the truth. But lastly, I wanna close with this, ordinary is defeated when we choose to forgive. When we choose to forgive. And that begins with telling the truth. I call it the church fight. Because you know you guys have all had the church fight. Don't you wake up Sunday morning and everyone's in a bad mood? Even the toddler, you're like, dude, you sleep and you still poop in your pants. Like, what is the deal, you know? And so everybody's in a bad mood and as parents, what do we do? We say, go get in the car. I don't know why we do this, right? (laughs) So we get in the car and what happens? World War III breaks out. And so we fight all the way to church. We use sign language to the person in the car next to us. We know we shouldn't use. And then that person goes into the church parking lot and you're like, oh, really, right? And then the church parking lot miracle happens. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's fighting, somebody's crying, and then you get in the church parking lot and you're like, you know, you get it together. And then you walk in the door and actually you walk in the side door because you're like, no one will be there. And who's there? One of the pastors. And they're like, how you doing, family? You're like, we're great. You look at your kids, you're like, tell them you're great, right? You know? <laughs> and oftentimes we hold the church hostage for not being a place where we can be fully known and fully loved because we think that we have to fake it till we make it. But when we begin to tell the truth and we walk into spaces, even at church to say, listen, we're not okay. I don't like my kids, right? (laughs) I'm not okay. My life is not okay right now. It begins to open you up to start the healing process. And for me, it was the process of offering forgiveness. And what I recognize is truth telling is a part of the process of forgiveness because we are recognizing our wound. We are recognizing that we have been hurt. And out of our wound, we feel that deep grief that something has happened. We begin to emotionally connect. And out of that grief, we become angry. And I think this is for most of us as followers of Christ. When we become angry, we don't know what to do with our anger. I don't know about you. I've never bought a book to say how to be more angry, right? Like it just happens. And so we either pretend it or weigh Or what for many of us, what we do is we choose bitterness. And I think bitterness gets a bad rap because for many of us, we choose bitterness because it's self-protective. Like we we build a wall of bitterness because we think to ourselves, if I can build this wall, then you can't access me again. You can't hurt me again. But the problem with bitterness is that it always lends itself to resentment. And resentment becomes confining. Where the wall just isn't in front of you, it surrounds you. And it begins to disconnect you, not from the relationship that was broken, but all relationships. And so how do you choose forgiveness? In the book of Matthew, Jesus has a conversation with the disciple Peter, and Peter asks a simple question. It's a famous question, right? How many times do you forgive? And Jesus says what? 70 times seven, because Jesus knew forgiveness is a process that we would have to keep choosing. And the choice that he gives us is a posture of brokenness where we lay down our wound and we lay down our bitterness and we lay down our resentment and we no longer live by it, but we live in the freedom of offering forgiveness. 
And that was happening. Restoration was happening as I was forgiving Justin and he was earning trust and we were being people of truth. And I thought, I don't know about you guys, I get a lot of things wrong in faith, but this was one of those times, like I felt like I wanted a sticker that said, I rocked forgiveness, you should get to know me, right? Like I, I was doing it right. And in my mind, I equated that forgiveness restores relationships. So I'm like, man, I want my relationship restored with my best friend. So a year after the affair, I wrote her a letter and I told her that I loved her and that I forgave her and that when you begin to walk in truth, you can see the truth of people's choices and sin will never make sense. But oftentimes when we reveal what we are thinking in, in the, our perspective, we can see how people fall into sin. And I wanted her to know that I, I forgave her and I wanted her to be set free. And so I sent the letter and about a month went by and then a year went by and I heard no response and then a whole decade went by. And about a decade afterwards, I was given an opportunity to go on national television, like worldwide television to talk about the forgiveness of Jesus. It was such a privilege. And I was so proud to talk about Jesus and forgiveness in my story. And about a month after that aired, I received the letter that I had waited so long to receive from my best friend. And I tell people it was a letter written by someone who offered repentance who wasn't a repentant heart. It was like an offering that was backhanded and it was, it was so hard to understand that I took it to my mentors, I took it to my counselor and said, what do I do with this? And it was in this moment that I felt like I was back on the couch. I was like, God, are you kidding me? I wrote a book, I just went on national TV. I've gone all over the country talking about forgiveness and I was wrong? Like it doesn't work, it's not real? Like, have you ever been there where you felt like you were walking in the path of God and then he just kind of like drop kicked you? This is where I was and, and I, was, I was done again. Have you been there? And what I love about who God is, is in that Ephesians passage that God in his kindness and grace has set us free through the blood of Christ. And it was in that moment that I felt like Jesus was saying, I do. Church family, we have a savior that knows what it's like to walk intimately with best of friends. Friends, the disciples who saw heaven touching earth, miracles in real time. And when he was being beaten and bruised, they were nowhere to be found. When the crown of thorns was being placed on his head, they were nowhere with encouragement. When he had to bear his cross and walk his cross to his ultimate death, a stranger had to come and help him. When Jesus was crucified and hanging on the cross, the Bible says that the soldiers began to strip him of the clothes he had left on his body and they began to barter over them. And Jesus gets audacious. And he says, my God, my God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You see, true forgiveness is only true forgiveness when we offer it regardless of how the person responds. Why? Because it's what Jesus did for us. And this is a hard truth. Forgiveness doesn't always restore relationships. 
I still struggle with that. But forgiveness will always restore your heart. So who is it that you need to forgive? I wanna close with this truth. There are some of you here today, whether watching online or here in the room, where you're the wounder, you're the adulterer, you're the one who has destroyed a relationship. Can I tell you that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you, he is pursuing you, and he is calling you to a place to live in truth and freedom, to be fully known and fully loved, not for what you do, for him, but for who you are in him. And you are loved and you are chosen and you are redeemed. Thank you.